Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. Uh, I am thankful for some cool things going on in the life of our church. As you know, uh, we have uh, been involved in helping some of the kids that are being housed at the Pomona Fairplex. These are kids who arrived at the borders without parents, and uh, the uh, uh, Health and Human Services is trying uh, quickly to get them placed in homes, uh, either with family members who live in the United States or in, in foster homes in some cases. And so we were invited in. Uh, to help lead a worship service for the kids on Saturdays. And so uh, a handful of you went and did that with me last month. We've been invited back to do it twice more. Uh, and so uh, I'm, we can only take in 10 at a time. So I've got a very limited doorway. But if you'd like to be involved in those ministries, especially if you're a Spanish speaker, uh, send us an email at info at reallife.la. We're getting those organized again. And it's just, um, you know, it's a great thing that our church can be involved in people in such desperate need in such a unique situation. So uh, if you'd like to be involved, uh, info at reallife.la, or if, uh, if you just want to pray for us, just pray over that ministry because that's, that's an important one. And one of the cool things that they asked us to do this last time, they said, you know, we've got, uh, at, at any given time, we have at least 1,000 kids in here. Um, Christmas is coming. Uh, we're going to try to give them Christmas presents. Can you help? And I said, uh, absolutely, we'll find a way. Uh, so stay tuned. They're going to let us know specifically what they're looking for. Uh, don't, go, don't run out shopping yet, but I'll let you know. Uh, uh, very soon, uh, what they need and uh, how we can be involved in that. So that's that's good stuff. Also, uh, on the home front here, uh, people in the church have been active in sharing their faith and sharing the story of Jesus uh, with uh, people they meet. So just last week, a member of our church uh, ended up in a conversation with a guy who she didn't really know, and he expressed some needs in his life. And she said, "Can I pray for you?" And he said, "Yes." And she said, uh, and do you, do you know Jesus? Have you in, invited Jesus to come in and lead your life? And he said, no. And so she prayed for him, and he decided to follow Jesus that day. So that was amazing. And then at our student overnighter this last weekend, four teenagers decided that they were going to give their lives to Jesus as well. So uh, it's been a, a great week, and we are thankful for those things. Uh, we light our faith candle every time we hear good stories of somebody stepping across that line and deciding to follow Jesus. So as you're sharing your faith in the world, make sure uh, as you do that, let me know those good stories. Again, info at reallife.la if you just want to send it to me in an email. Uh, we love to share those stories. That's, uh, that's what the church is, is all about. We're here to share Jesus with the world. So uh, thank you for being involved in all of that uh, and for volunteering with our student ministries if you're one of those. Um, so that's, uh, that's good stuff. We're going we're gonna to continue in our series. We're going to wrap out, wrap, uh, wrap out, that's not a thing. We're going to uh, round out our series today called 2020 Hindsight, in, we, in which we've been looking at the lessons that God had for us over the course of this last year and a half and this difficult season that we've been through. Uh, we're looking at what God has done in the midst of this and what lessons God wants us to learn and take with us. Uh, and we've, we've looked at uh, making Jesus the foundation of our lives and growing spiritual fruit in our lives that show that we are committed to Him and live in Him. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to round that out today. Take a minute and let's pray. Father, I do thank You that You love us, and I thank You that You call us to Yourself. And I pray that in the midst of life's turmoils and 
turbulence that you are a God who gives peace. So give us peace. Help us to trust in you and to listen to your voice and know that you watch over us. I thank you in the trials that will inevitably come in our lives. You have not left us alone, but instead you're still walking with us. So walk with us today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Uh, we're going to get to a, a text in the Scriptures today, uh, and it, it reminds me of a, a fable we were told as children. And as I think about this fable as an adult, I'm curious as to why we tell our children the stories that we tell them. Do you remember the story of Little Red Riding Hood? Uh, I, I have the vague details down, right? This, this little girl decides to go wandering in the woods by herself. And so immediately, I know what genre of story this is. This is a horror movie. Little girl goes wandering in the woods by herself. The camera close to the ground pans behind several trees to give you the sense that some beast is watching this girl go through the woods. And normally that's how the story would go. But unfortunately, nobody in the story actually has a good head on their shoulders and everything is weird. So this wolf that wants to eat Little Red Riding Hood doesn't go after her in the woods where she is most vulnerable. Instead, he comes up with a very circuitous plan to go to her grandmother's house and to, I think, eat her grandmother, something like that. I don't know why we tell our children the stories that we do. Uh, I think it's where nightmares come from. He goes and he uh, takes care of grandma, and then he dresses in grandmother's clothes. I don't know why this has to be so difficult. First of all, he's already full. And secondly, I, how is this a good plan? So he dresses in grandmother's clothes, and then Little Red Riding Hood uh, arrives at the house, as I recall, looks in the face of a wolf that is dressed as a woman, and cannot tell that that is not her grandmother. Which begs the question, what did her grandmother look like in the first place? I mean, if you look at a wolf and you go, I think it's close. I, what, how hideous was this grandmother? And so for whatever reason, we then have this bizarre conversation in which Little Red Riding Hood uh, begins to distinguish features on the wolf's face that she notices are sort of out of proportion to what her grandmother's face looks like. And I, I don't remember exactly what happens, but I think there's an axe murder in the end, and that's the happy ending. I don't know why we tell the, our children the stories that we do, but that is a fable that we remember. And the good part of the story, I guess, for all that weirdness, is the moral, uh, which is uh, the, the moral of the Little Red Riding Hood, uh, which is uh, <laughs> don't uh, watch out for wolves dressed as grandmas. That is a good life lesson. We all, we all need that one. Um, I have no idea what that story tells, but look out for uh, uh, people in disguise, I think is the bottom line. It seems like we could have communicated that a lot easier to our, our children than, than we do. Well, Jesus tells a, a, a story. Jesus has a teaching, which is a sort of a wolf in grandma's clothing kind of teaching. We say a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? That's the idiom, but the, you know, it's a wolf in grandma's clothing kind of parable, kind of story. Uh, and, uh, and I want to look at that uh, with you today. So uh, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and open up or turn it on to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And we're going to look at Jesus uh, talking about sheeps and wolves. John, chapter 10, at verse 1, listen to the Word of God. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. Now remember, the Pharisees are the Jewish teachers of the law who are always in conflict with Jesus because they want the trappings of religi religiosity without the heart for God. They love the fact that religion makes them feel good and allows them to look down their noses at other people, but they don't love people the way that God loves people. They're hypocrites. So very truly, I tell you Pharisees, that's who he's addressing, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate 
but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. Now, Jesus lived in agrarian society. They all knew about sheep and sheep pens and wolves and thieves. But why he's telling this story is going to be a curiosity. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this as a figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. And I can understand them not understanding. Um, First of all, it's just kind of cryptic. Jesus hasn't unpacked it yet. He hasn't told us who's who in the parable. But it's also a mixed metaphor. Jesus compares himself to a shepherd, and then he's going to call himself the gate, as you're going to see, and then he's going to call himself the shepherd again. Uh, In this first section that we read, he's really analogizing himself to the shepherd. Because any time he talks about the sheep recognizing the shepherd's voice, he's usually talking about his followers recognizing his voice. So, so it's a mixed metaphor, but he's beginning by saying there's a good shepherd and the sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd. The thieves in this, in this parable are clearly the Pharisees. Uh, and I can give you three reasons why I know that. One, he begins in verse 1 by saying, I'm telling you Pharisees. He, we know who he's addressing. Secondly, if you look at the context in John, Jesus has been arguing with the Pharisees since chapter 5. And remember, in the original versions of the Bible, it didn't have all those numbers in it. There weren't chapters and verses. It was just one long block of text. And so for John, who's writing this down, this is Jesus in a long, long, long argument with the Pharisees. Uh, In the previous chapter, he's just healed a man born blind And the Pharisees, instead of celebrating in that, are mad at him because he did it on the Sabbath day. God shows up and reveals his power and reveals his love. And the Pharisees don't care because they're like, "Mm, you could have done it on Monday. Um, And so Jesus is in a a conflict with the Pharisees. He's been in a conflict for several chapters now. Uh, And thirdly, it's not unusual for Jesus to tell parables about the Pharisees to the Pharisees. And then they get mad at him. This happens multiple times. It's like throwing rocks at a bee's nest. Okay, so Jesus is the shepherd. He's also going to call himself the gate. And the thieves are the Pharisees. Verse 7, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. And here, when he says all who have come before me, he's talking about their teachers and leaders. Uh, Because clearly Jesus references the Jewish prophets favorably, right? He talks about Moses favorably. When he says, all who've come before me, he means the teachers who have have taught the people with hypocrisy. Uh, They are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Uh, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Uh, so he's, he's the shepherd, the sheep recognize his voice, followers of Jesus recognize his voice, and he's the gate. Uh, we come and go through Jesus. Jesus is the truth. It reminds me of the teaching in John 14, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the gate, he is the pathway through which we find the truth. Anybody who goes around Jesus 
It's not a good shepherd, it's a thief. And so, uh, and so Jesus uh, is, is calling us to look to him, to follow after him, and to let him be the pathway that we take. This is very different than the Pharisees who want the trappings of religion without the heart of God. And religion without the heart of God is a thief in shepherd's clothing, right? It's a wolf dressed as grandma. Any, any religion without Jesus, without the heart of God, is a thief in shepherd's clothing. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they, might, that they may have life and have it to the full. Uh, and this is, a, this is one of the most beautiful teachings of Jesus. Uh, pause on this one. If you don't have John 10 in your heart and your mind, you might want to stop and pause on this one. This one's good to memorize and carry around with you. I've come to give you life and life to the full. That's such a contrast to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are not good shepherds. They have come to use religion to make themselves feel good about themselves and to despise other people. They're hypocrites. At one point, Jesus compares them to like a, like a cereal bowl that you wash on the outside and then leave the inside dirty. So the other pe- people look at it and think, oh, it looks like a good bowl, but on the inside, it's junk. That's the Pharisees. They want to look religious. They want to look like they're doing things right. But on the inside, they don't have the heart of God. They don't love. And honestly, they don't want the laws to apply to them. They want to use the laws against other people. And so, so Jesus here is, uh, is distinguishing himself from the, other, from the other would-be shepherds, the thieves who are not seeking the best for the people. Jesus must have in mind Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I'll have no needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Uh, King David wrote that a thousand years before Jesus because David, as a boy, had been a shepherd and he must have sat there on the hillside watching over sheep and caring for them and leading them to green pastures where they could eat and leading them beside still waters where they could drink and watching over them and protecting them. And he must have sat there and thought, in the same way I am the shepherd to the sheep, God is a shepherd to me. I am the sheep to God. God watches over me. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I I fear no evil because his his rod and his staff, they comfort me. He even prepares a table in front of me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus must have that in mind when he says, I'm I'm the good shepherd. He's got to have in mind that David said, God is a shepherd to me the way I'm a shepherd to the sheep. And this is what Jesus wants us to know about him. I have come to give you life. I have come to give you green pastures and still waters. I have come to give you a life where you don't live in anxiety and worry. When you pass through the valley of the shadow, you're not concerned because you know I am with you. It doesn't mean we won't suffer in this life. Of course we will. But even our suffering is in the hands of God. It doesn't mean we won't die in this life. We will. But even the number of our days is in the hands of God. And Jesus wants you to know, I'm not a thief who's coming to take things from you. I'm coming to give you life. I'm the good shepherd.
John 10.10 10 is one uh, that's worth remembering and holding on to. He's not here to condemn us. He's here to set us free. Uh, now, let me show you um, how the big bad wolf works uh, in uh, our day today, how the, uh, the thief in shepherd's clothing works uh, in our day today, because it's not exactly like the Pharisees. The Pharisees lived in a culture in which uh, religion was exalted. In Israel, if you were a leader of Israel, if you were a religious leader, you were praised for your religiosity. And there are pockets of American culture where that is still the case, but not always, and not always in California. Uh, but, but we, nonetheless, suffer from thieves in shepherd's clothing who try to give us religion without the heart of God. And religion without the heart of God is a thief in shepherd's clothing. And this is how it works. We, we begin our, our young lives, and we, we look at the future ahead of us, and we say, I'm going to choose a, a career path that I like because it entertains me or it satisfies me or it's something I can do. And I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to chase after that. And Jesus back here says, hey, you want, me to, you want me to help with that? And we say, no, 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 I'm good. And then we say, I'm going to, I'm going to pick somebody to be in love with because I'm in love with them. We're just all lovey and cute and everything. So I'm going to love this person. I'm going to marry this person. This is going to be my person. We love each other. And Jesus goes, uh, hey, you want, me to, you want me to help you with that? And we say, no, no, no I'm good. And then we say, um, I'm going to find a place to live, and it's going to be my home, and I, I'm going to love it. And, I, you know, it might be a stretch, but it's going to be mine. And it's just great. It's going to be a safe place where I don't have to deal with the world. That'll be great. And Jesus says, hey, you want me to help you with that? And we go, no, 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 I got it. And then once we have our life settled into place, we have our, our people and our things and our stuff and our, our work, we then say, okay, Jesus, here I am. Send me. I'm a Christian. I'll even go to church. That's how serious I am about this. We get locked into all kinds of things that we didn't ask Jesus to guide, and then we look for Jesus to bless where we've landed. And religion without the heart of God is a thief in shepherd's clothing. It's actually one of the most destructive deceptions in history. When we get to the place where we have settled for Jesus in small doses, we have substituted in the place of actual discipleship something that's actually not good for us. It's like when a, a doctor prescribes medicine to you and you say, I think I know better than the doctor how much medicine I should take, and so I'm only going to take half of it. Or I'm going to stretch it out over a longer period of time so it lasts longer. I'm not going to take it in the order they told me to take it. I'm just going to make it go and go and go. If you do that, the medicine might not work at all. That's not how medicine is designed to work. Well, one of the greatest conspiracies that Satan ever pulled off was to make us think that Jesus in small doses was an acceptable substitute for discipleship. And when we settled for a kind of religion that says, well, I, I said I'm a Christian and I checked in at church now and then, we've settled for a kind of religion that's not really the heart of God. Because what Jesus wants is to be a good shepherd, leading us by green pastures and still waters, where we listen to his voice and know his voice and trust his leading, where when he calls us to go, we go because we know he knows the way. And that's very different than just checking in. What, what Jesus wants for us is a kind of um, attentiveness to his voice that's different than merely checking in and some form of uh, religiosity. 
Um, it, it's like this. Uh, I remember years ago when I was leading a, a student ministry at a church, uh, we used to play games uh, with the teenagers, and the goal of the games was to do things as dangerous as possible without anybody having to go to the hospital, right? That was a, that was the, it was a thin line that you walk in student ministry. And so we'd play this one game where we'd put a blindfold on the volunteer. you get to volunteer and put a blindfold on you. And then the other students just trashed the room, just scattered chairs and furniture and foosball tables and trash cans everywhere, just wrecked the room. And then the student had to walk from one side of the room to the other, which is now just a, a danger zone. And, and the way the student would find the way, the path across the room is all the other students in the room, the ones who were not blindfolded, would call out directions. But, you know, teenagers are not always the most gracious people on earth. I mean, I think, you know, if, if you've lived through your teen years, you know that all of us are about one plane crash away from Lord of the Flies. And so they would call out wrong directions in the hope that their friends would trip over furniture and fall down. And so the blindfolded guy hears all kinds of directions being yelled, and they don't all agree with it. Turn left, turn right, go straight. And so they kind of stumble around the room and finally make it to the other side. Well, there was this one time a guy volunteered. We put the blindfold on him. Students just wrecked the room, trashed. There was junk everywhere. There was no clean pathway across the room. And we said, go. Students started to yell out directions, and he started to walk. And he went smoothly through that room. He went through that room like he didn't have a blindfold on. He didn't hit a single thing. Made it to the other side of the room faster than anybody else. So well that all the students accused him of cheating. They all said, you're peeking under that blindfold somehow. You're, you're cheating. And he said, no, 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 no. I wasn't cheating. He says, my, my girlfriend goes to this youth group. That's her over there. And all I did was I listened to her voice because I knew she wouldn't lead me astray. Let's all say awe together. Jesus' voice is the one that will not lead you astray. He wants for you green pastures and still waters. He doesn't want you stumbling through life. And if you learn to listen to his voice and recognize his voice, he'll lead you on right paths for his name's sake. We need to learn to listen to the voice of Jesus so that when we pass through the valley of the shadow, when we pass through a pandemic and our world is a wreck, we can hear the voice that stands out from the voices of the world. And listening to the voice of the shepherd is very different than just checking in at church. We have to learn to listen to the voice of Jesus. And there's, there's two ways that I want to encourage us to do that today. There's two ways to learn to listen to the voice of Jesus. The first one is the most obvious one, and it's one that you've heard before. Read the Bible. Immerse yourself, especially in the teachings of Jesus. Learn how he lived. Dwell on the scriptures day and night. Discuss them with your families and your friends, with your family and your friends. Pray over the scriptures daily. Don't let a day go by where you don't look to the scriptures and say, Teach me something new, Jesus. Pay attention to the scriptures because they are the voice of God and they tell us who Jesus is more clearly than we will get it anywhere else. There are times where you and I are going to have to make decisions about life and we're going to have to infer from what we know of Jesus, what Jesus would do in our situation today. Because Jesus teaches us things like don't love money, but he doesn't teach us which smartphone to buy at the store. 
So we have to learn to infer from the teachings of Jesus what Jesus wants us to do today. And the more we immerse ourselves in his teaching and his life, the better able we will be to infer. So read the Bible and learn it well. The second way we learn to listen to the voice of God is called prophecy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Desire the spiritual gifts and above all desire prophecy. If it says something like that, we probably ought to pause and ask, what is that? Prophecy in the Bible was simply the ability to listen to God, to hear what God was saying in the hopes that you could share with the world what God is saying. That's what the prophets did. Prophecy is not something mysterious and foreign. It's something that's open to everybody. Paul says, pray for it. Prophecy is that ability to listen in for the voice of the shepherd. And it comes through a dedicated life of prayer in which we spend time saying, Jesus, I'm just going to wait on you. Some of you I know have had experiences like that. You've shared those experiences with me, and you know how powerful they are. Some of you are still praying for those experiences. Don't worry about it. Just lean into your prayer life. Jesus loves you and wants to talk to you and wants to be in a daily relationship with you where he guides you by green pastures and still waters for his name's sake. We need to learn to listen to the voice of the shepherd so that when the world is a mess and is calling out to us bad directions, we know the way to go. Starting next week, I'm going to begin a new teaching series called Listening to God. And we're going to talk about how how to grow deep in our listening to God. But for now, I want to leave us with a vision of what the world is going to look like when we hit the next crisis. And we're listening to Jesus this time. We're listening to the shepherd. What if, what if as we plan our future, as we plan our life ahead of us, we say, I'm going to, I'm going to choose a, a career path. I'm going to choose a, a work. I'm going to choose how I spend my time. And I'm, I'm going to say, Jesus, I actually want my life to be ministry. I want it to serve you and not just me. Help me choose. I'm going to choose relationships, whether marriage or friendships, and I want my friendships to be dedicated to you. I want both Christian friends who help me grow in faith and non-Christian friends who I can point towards you. And I want you to help me choose where to spend my time in relationship. I want to listen to the voice of the shepherd. And then we say, God, I, I want to choose a place to live that is a home base for ministry, not just a place that makes me comfortable, but a place that you use. I want to listen to the voice of the shepherd. If we begin that discipline now, if we practice that discipline daily, imagine what it's like the next time the world goes through crisis. There will be crises. I mean, I look back, what is it, 10 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, the world went through a horrific recession that threw everything in chaos. Less than 10 years before that, September 11th, through, through the world in chaos. There, there are crises that abound in our world, and there will be more in the future. But imagine if we begin walking to the sound of the voice of the shepherd. What happens the next time we go through crises together? Imagine we go into those crises saying, Jesus, I'm going to surrender my life to you. And when the world is in chaos, I will not panic. When I pass through the valley of the shadow, I fear no evil, for you're with me. You comfort me. 
You feed me in front of my enemies, and I know goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because I'm listening to the voice of the shepherd. What if the next time we go through a crisis, we say to God, I'm going to surrender to you my resources. I'm not going to hoard I'm going to continue to give to others and care for others. For myself, I will only collect enough manna for the day. And I'm not going to stockpile so that other people go without, especially toilet paper people. Give me a break. What if we surrender our resources to Jesus? What if the next time we go through a crisis, we surrender our families to Jesus? And we say, Jesus, I love my family. I worry for my family. But I know that you love them more than I do. I can't imagine anybody loving them more than I do, but I know that you love them more than I do. So I'm not going to seek to be too controlling of them because I'm afraid. And I'm not going to seek to lash out defensively at others to to protect my family. Instead, I'm going to trust that you're the good shepherd. When we go through the next world crisis, and there will be one. Imagine the church goes through it, listening to the voice of the shepherd, so that the world around us looks in our direction and say, they're clearly listening to a different voice than the ones I'm listening to. I wonder how I find that voice. Jesus will round out this teaching Uh, describing himself uh, once more in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's speaking about his coming crucifixion. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. This is the Pharisees again. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Here the the wolf is the crisis of the day, right? And the the Pharisees who don't care about them, they're not going to protect them. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man, the Pharisee, runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Here I think he's talking about the Gentiles because he's reached out to the Jewish people and the gospel is about to go to the entire world. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. Uh, Here he's referring to his resurrection, right? No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He went to the cross for us so that we could be forgiven and free. He's the good shepherd who leads us beside still waters into green pastures because he wants us to have life to the full. What if in 2020 hindsight, we remember nothing else about this year but how important it is to listen to the voice of the good shepherd? Pray with me.
Jesus, I thank you that you came and walked among us so that we would know our shepherd and recognize his voice. I thank you that you went to the cross for us so that our sins would be taken off for us and we would live wholly forgiven and innocent. I thank you that you had the power to take up life again, showing us that not even death gets the last word. So teach us now to place our lives in your hands in complete trust and confidence. Teach us to listen to your voice and not be distracted by the voices of the world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.